words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Aloha. <laughs> it's a fun Sunday in which we um, dress festively to mark the end of our summer offerings and begin the full uh, education and formation offerings at the church. We'll have our ministry fair and fellowship hall and our um, parish life guide is already for you to use as your map through our program years and uh, our program months in the fall. So um, it's wonderful to share this bit of fun with you. Several years ago, when our boys were six and nine, we went on a family retreat to New Mexico, to Abiquiu, to Abiquiu, New Mexico, to Ghost Ranch. That's where the famous artist Georgia O'Keeffe painted her amazing landscapes of New Mexico and her um, skulls um, and all sorts of wonderful things. And it's also where that goofy movie City Slickers starring Billy Crystal was filmed. So uh, a gorgeous place that had um, sort of the range of artistic uh, enjoyment from goofy movies to great, great art. O'Keefe was also praised for her Hawaiian watercolors. So there's the connection to Aloha Sunday. Very tenuous, but Aloha anyway. Anyway, between the hikes and talks and prayers at the Ghost Ranch family camp, we took a pottery class. I'd always been interested in taking a class in pottery, and because I had thought about it so much, I figured I'd be really good at it. It was so much harder than I imagined. Even the boys' vases were much better than mine. All of our end products, though, if you looked at them from just the right angle, looked a little bit like that modernist architect in Spain, Gaudi, with the, <laughs> with the crazy curves and the angles and the twists and indentations. Of course, that's a very charitable interpretation. Forming clay was much more difficult than I ever expected. In the scripture from the prophet Jeremiah, God is described as a potter at his wheel, a potter with a choice about what to do with the clay in his hands. The clay that was already formed in some way was misshapen, difficult to now mold anew, yet it needed reworking. God wants to reshape the stubborn clay in his hands for a purpose greater than 
self-decoration, shelf-decoration, or a good memory from family camp. God, the molder of human existence and purpose, has a bigger vision, Imagine, imagines a vessel formed at the service of the common good, for meaning, for salvation framed by God's love, for human beings reworked, as Jeremiah says, in a way that seemed good to God. Vessels reworked so that they are good for building and planting, good for turning from evil and amending their ways and their doings. So God is the potter bent to the wheel, not just of our individual lives, but our, our communities and our societies, whose sensitive hands are pressing and shaping the spinning clay to draw forth something useful and beautiful. God does not expect or even want perfection, but God calls for resilience, for awareness and continual conversion, continual formation. And I love this phrase, God responds to repentance. God longs for you to say how it is that you have hurt someone or a community. To say it and ask forgiveness and then to stop doing it. God responds to repentance. Yet we are so afraid of judgment. So afraid of judgment because of the legions of deeply hurtful ways that it has been misused primarily in marginalized communities, against marginalized communities. We are so afraid of judgment because of the ways it has been misused that our focus is often and honorably on the gift of grace. Grace is wonderful. Yet we lose something if we don't come to understand that God's judgment is a call to new life, his call to reshape our lives, to reflect the greater purpose God has for us, is a call to freedom from what tangles us up in despair and in power games. It's a call to reshape what's willfully distorted and to begin again. One of the great teachings of this text from Jeremiah is that the plan of God is not a fixed course of events. That's why I like that phrase, God responds to repentance so much. God's plan takes into account obedience and disobedience, sin and repentance. And Jeremiah masterfully invites us to envision, envision God up to God's elbows in our making and our remaking. The gospel today really challenges us as well. 
What Jesus says is not for the faint of heart. In Luke's telling, Jesus said that there were three requirements for discipleship. First, fight with your family. Simple enough. Not really. He doesn't say just fight. He says give up your family. Give up your family. Take up the cross and give away your possessions. Those are the three requirements for discipleship that Jesus outlines in the gospel today. Our instincts and our egos say otherwise. They pull in the opposite direction saying, focus on your family exclusively first. Get as far away as possible from the cross. Get far away from any hurt or conflict. Far away as possible. Make and keep as much as you can. That's what our communities, our society say. But Jesus wants our hearts and he wants our brains. And so he tells us these requirements today to make us think, to make us think, to make discipleship a deliberate choice, not something that is easy and second best, left for the last on your to-do list. Jesus says, asks, do you have what is needed to build and not leave an eyesore on the landscape? Do you have the wisdom to know it's time to negotiate or surrender in order to avoid needless, purposeless pain and suffering? Will you let your life and work for the community be remade again and again in the potter's hands for the common good and for our salvation. So my family has been looking at colleges lately, and each sells itself as unique, but they all start to blend together if you go to enough of them. The requirements for entrance are intense, and the costs are way high. And yet families calculate that the hard work and the sacrifice will pay off in the end if they work hard and make the investment. But the requirements of colleges and university entrance look easy. They pale in comparison to what Jesus says is required for discipleship. So even dedicated people sometimes pause to question if they will make a good return on their investment in discipleship. What do I get out of all that I give? But of course, faith doesn't work like financial markets. And the answer to that question 
what do I get depends on what you really value. Jesus tells us to value the world outside of ourselves, to value each other. Jesus calls us to a kinship beyond our nuclear family, beyond those who have to claim us because 23andMe say we share the DNA. Calls us to kinship beyond the boundaries of immediate clan, to redefine family, to widen the circle of care, to call more than those who are connected to us through biology, brothers and sisters, mother and father, to expand and extend those definitions so that all are included in the circle of care. Jesus shows us the value of the cross because at the heart of discipleship is transformation. Transformation of ourselves, but also of the crosses of this world. The places of pain and injustice. To transform the cross means to enter into those places of pain, of unfairness, of illogic, of cruelty, and remind each other of the power of the resurrection. To take up the cross means to live lives of meaningful transformation in the places of brokenness. To be good friends, not because someone is a good connection, but because you know how to love. To be prophets and truth-tellers, to spark a glimpse of hope when you help shoulder the burden of others or to receive that spark of hope when you fall into the temptation of thinking all is lost, nothing will change, why should I bother? It means to trust God even in our own personal pain and loss, in facing tragedies, trials, and the griefs of life. To enter into the fray of bullies and haters and to sometimes, like those people in Nashville, I don't know if you heard about that, the neighbors who formed a circle holding hands around their immigrant neighbor who ICE had come to deport, even though he had legal status. The neighbors in Nashville formed a circle around his house holding hands until the authorities went away. <coughs> to enter into the fray like the parishioners who called me this week and said, we have to do something for the Bahamas. Can we do it as soon as possible? And they're on it and organizing. Not forgetting the devastation even when there's so much hurt to look at. enter into the fray with each other, to enter into the fray of accountability and love. Jesus shows us to value that faith costs something. We are to give 
and give again, not until it hurts, but until it feels good, it feels right, until all are housed, clothed, fed, and are cared for when they fall ill. To give up all the possessions as a requisite for discipleship is a call to generosity and a reminder that disciples should travel lightly and that when interests come into conflict, discipleship takes precedence over security. Discipleship costs, and we are in God's good hands. May our repentance, our awareness, our love this day recall the psalmist's praise. Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. For you yourself created my inmost parts. I will thank you because I am marvelously made. Today, Christ calls us to a discipleship that is not easy. It doesn't have perhaps a value that we can brag about or bank on, but it is invaluable. It is priceless. It is the salvation of our souls. Amen.